Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Uh, I got an email last hour going over this uh, story out of the UK Times about the origins of COVID. Big uh, investigative piece, years in the making, and uh, yeah, it was developed in a lab as a bioweapon and it broke containment. There you go. Unexpectedly, yes, um, MAGA American Pitbull asks on Twitter in a Pete tweet, he says, Pete, do I detect a note of anger in your voice regarding weaponization of a virus or or maybe it's just my anger bleeding over into the information yes it's a, a little a little from column a and a little from column b so yes the answer is yes both very lengthy message now from tim and he says pete the uk times covid origin revelations number one so now finally it is known that covid19 came from a chinese lab not some wet market. Number two, it was a result of -of gain-of-function experiments. Number three, funded in part by the United States. Number four, who had outlawed such experimentation here. Number five, the lead U.S. health guru, Anthony The Science, Fauci, constantly lied about the whole situation while gaining more and more power every week. Number six, the whole medical system disgraced themselves, aside from a few brave and moral doctors that would speak up, with threats of losing their license. Number seven, the whole of mainstream media disgraced themselves forever by parroting whatever the narrative while suppressing other points of view. Number eight, the whole education system disgraced themselves during this time when parents could see just what was being taught to the kiddies. Number nine, the political system disgraced itself by shutting down the economy and allowing all those little Hitlers to crawl out from under their rocks and start dictating all sorts of crazy ideas. So now a couple questions. Number one, when does Nuremberg 2.0 trial start? Number two, when do the hangings start? Stan says, come on, Pete. How can you be discussing the subject of the coronavirus origin and that one of our enemies' militaries engineered it as a bioweapon with funding assistance by people in the U.S. and was then released on the world to kill over 100 million people and Trump is getting ready to answer to charges against him in a Miami courtroom? Get your priorities in order. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Here's the thing. I could tell you that there's a bunch of people standing on a street corner in Miami outside a courtroom and Trump just rolled up in a motorcade. And now you are up to date. That's all I can tell you, because that's all I can see. Yeah. Um, the story about the COVID-19 origins, this story is huge. Tens of millions of people died from COVID-related diseases. The virus was, indeed, engineered. The research behind it was, at first, internationally funded and remained so. And the Chinese military then got involved in that project. The United States funded the research, despite being warned that it was horribly dangerous and that the lab was unsafe. The EcoHealth Alliance lied to get grant money. A massive cover-up 
by U.S. and Chinese government officials hid the facts. And I just checked. The New York Times still does not have a story about this. This story is now two days old. It broke over the weekend in the U.K. Not one single U.S. mainstream media news source has covered the story. There are reports in the U.K. and elsewhere, but in America, it's been a virtual blackout. The Sunday Times is not a tabloid. It is the oldest newspaper in the U.K. It is widely respected. David Strom writes at hotair.com that the story is the product of months of research. It's deeply sourced. It includes U.S. State Department investigators who actually went to Wuhan to investigate the case. The sources are all there. Both public and secret documents back it up. Much of it was publicly established in the past, too. In other words, it is not a conspiracy theory from some sketchy source that is easily dismissed. What it is, though... What it is is grossly inconvenient for legacy media outlets, as well as the U.S. government and the bureaucrats who funded the research and covered it up. One of the biggest news stories in the world has faced a U.S. blackout for over a day. Do you think that these major newspaper reporters don't know about the story? Of course they do. Right? This, this gets to the question. I talk about this often when we talk about media bias. Bias isn't just in the, the adjectives that are chosen, um, the framing of the story, the headline on a story, right? the people you choose to interview for the story. Right? It's th- th- those are, yes, all areas where bias emerges and is evident. I always tell people, look for... A couple of things you can look for is the adjectives. That's the big one for me. You, you, can, you will know a reporter's bias based on their adjectives that they choose. The words or, or yeah, the, the adjectives, but also adverbs, not as often, but usually the adjectives. So if they describe something in, as they're describing something, it's not uh, somebody simply just said something, right? If they seize, right? If they pounce, or if they say it in a particular way and you describe it as angrily or something, that's a lot of times where you will see your bias emerge. Also, the last sentence. You can always check that out, too. Just go to, like, to the very last sentence of a story, and that's what uh, I, I, I call it the punch. That's what reporters are always trying to leave you with this punch. It's the last sentence that they really want to make you think as they sign off, you know, as you finish reading the article, you really bring it home. In the last line, they always try to start it off with some sort of anecdote. That's sort of boilerplate. Almost all stories now start that way. I find it to be just pedestrian, but whatever. They all start with like, Johnny first encountered the problem, blah, blah, blah. And then they tell the story of Johnny. And then, of course, the very last sentence will be something like, and to Johnny, that made all the difference. Mm, You know? And so that's where you can see bias as well. But anyway, one of the biggest One of the biggest areas of bias is in the newsroom, and you never even see it because it never gets covered. It's the story doesn't exist. The absence of the story is the bias, right? When you sit down and have these discussions in a news department about what do you do with your limited staff, your limited resources, where you know you, you got six events going on, 
You got, we used to call them in the biz back here in the BT newsroom. We called it the tickler file. I, I didn't make up the name. That's not my word for it. I don't know. Somebody else told me that. Anyway, so you had the, you got folders for each day of the month. You got 31 folders and then you got 12 folders for each month of the year. And so when people would send you press releases, they'd fax you over, hey, we're having some event, and you would just drop it in either the day of this month. Oh, it's going to be on the 22nd. You boop, drop it into the 22nd folder. Or if it's next month, you drop it into next month's folder. And so every single day, you're going into the fi- into this tickler file, and you're looking up stories. You're looking up story ideas, and you're like, okay, we got six events going on. Oh, but we only have one reporter. Oh, who am I kidding? We got a part-time reporter. That's... Where do we send him? Well, when he comes in, you know, after his classes at college, then we send him. (laughs) He's just an intern. See, okay, whatever. So you got to decide where to send him. You can't send him everywhere. Maybe you have a photographer, your TV station. Maybe you got a couple of reporters on the beat. You got a couple of photogs. And so you'll send photogs out and they'll just spray the scene. They'll just go out there. They'll shoot a bunch of video. Think like house fires, car crashes. Maybe it's a balloon launch for some you know victims of violent crime. And they'll shoot a bunch of video, and that just gets a vosat, voiceover sound on tape. That just gets a vosat. The anchor just reads some text while you see some videos on a loop. And then they send the reporter out to some different story. You have to devote resources to cover this story. And I saw the other day, So many reporters now never even leave their screens. They're at a desk, at a newsroom, if they're even in studio or uh, in the uh, the news department. Maybe they're working from home. And they're surrounded by people that basically come from the same backgrounds as they do that are also, you know, at the same desk, staring at the same monitor. And they're not getting any life experience. They're not going out. Meeting people, getting background, building relationships. And that's why you end up with these same stories and, more importantly, same story selection. Story selection. That's why you need diversity of thought in in a newsroom. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? UK Times. What really went on inside the Wuhan lab weeks before COVID erupted. Scientists in Wuhan, working alongside the Chinese military, were combining the world's most deadly coronaviruses to create a new mutant virus just as the pandemic began. Completely coincidentally. Investigators who scrutinized top-secret intercepted communications and scientific research believe Chinese scientists were running a covert project of dangerous experiments which caused a leak from the Wuhan Institute of Virology and started the COVID-19 outbreak. The U.S. investigators say one of the reasons there's no published information on the work that was being done there is because it was done in collaboration with researchers from the Chinese military, which was funding it and which they say was pursuing bioweapons. 
This is a very, very lengthy piece. I think it, I think it clocked in at 14 pages printed out. U.S. investigators also revealed how they had been given evidence indicating that the Institute had been working on a vaccine before the pandemic. Quote, I interviewed scientists in Asia who have close relationships with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, or the WIV. This source said, quote, they told me it is their belief that there was vaccine research going on in the fall of 2019 pertinent to COVID-19 vaccination. Foreign experts who have sought to identify the source of the pandemic have been blocked from investigating by the Communist Party in China. There was a British bat expert named Dr. Alice Hughes. You're going to hear more about her and from her later on. But just keep her name in mind. Alice Hughes, British bat lady. No, 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 no. All right. They began conducting experiments with SARS and other viruses. This is the Wuhan Institute. They started doing these experiments with SARS as well as other viruses like MERS. And the bat lady named she was joined by British bat expert Dr. Peter Dejak, who would become a close friend and collaborator. Born in Dukenfield near Manchester, he obtained a degree in zoology at Bangor University and later moved to New York, where he took a management position in, a, in the Wildlife Trust. It's a nonprofit organization. Its work protecting pets and endangered species did not attract substantial funding. But after 9-11 and then the SARS outbreak, the U.S. started to see the importance of funding work combating bioterrorism and pandemics. So the trust began to focus on how viruses might cross from animals into people and thus spark a pandemic. That lady, she's team provided the field work for the trust's campaign and the labs to test and experiment on the viruses. In 2009, the trust was given $18 million over five years from a, brand, uh, from a, a new program called PREDICT. This was used to identify pandemic viruses. Shortly afterwards, the trust was rebranded as the EcoHealth Alliance. Dejak assumed the role of president. The Chinese collaborators who helped put him on the map were awarded a million dollars out of the PREDICT grant. Now, the truly cutting-edge experiments, I mean, China doesn't come up with this stuff. They copy stuff just fine, but coming up with stuff, there's a little bit more difficult. I mean, they're communists, after all, but... The cutting-edge experiments were being done in the U.S. by a guy at a UNC, Ralph Barrick, a veteran virologist. He used a technique to fuse together different pathogens by mixing their genes together. To test the effect of these lab-created mutant viruses on people, he created humanized mice. He would inject the mice with genes that allowed them to develop lungs and vascular systems that are similar to ours. His ultimate aim was to create a universal vaccine against SARS-type viruses, an objective still not achieved. Barrick was aware this type of gain-of-function work, so-called because it can enhance virus potency, he knew it was controversial, and he knew it could have a sinister application. Back in 2006, he wrote in a paper, quote, these bioweapons could be targeted to humans, domesticated animals, or crops, causing a devastating impact on human civilization. 
Six years later, campaigners and scientists were starting to wake up to the profound risks inherent in the coronavirus work. And they got it banned. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. In 2012, in a cave called Shitao, in the remote mountains of Yunnan province, southern China, Bat Lady Shi and her team make a breakthrough. They recovered a virus that was the closest match to SARS of those found at the time. They're they're on the hunt. They're looking for a bat virus that's very similar to SARS because they're trying to, theoretically, given the benefit of the doubt, they're trying to create a vaccine against SARS, which had emerged in the early 2000s. So in 2012, they make this discovery. Aha! We found ones very similar to SARS, a very close match to SARS. So they label it WIV-1 for the Wuhan Institute of Virology and demonstrated through laboratory work that it was able to infect human cells. But they were unable to grow sufficient quantities of a second SARS-like virus found in the cave that was called SHCO14 to do similar tests on that. So... What to do? Bat Lady She needed Ralph Barrick's expertise from uh, University of North Carolina. So she contacts him in 2013 and he agrees to help. You know, that Southern hospitality and all. The Wuhan Institute provided Barrick's team with the genetic sequence for SHC014 so he could recreate the genes from the microscopic spikes that protrude from its sides. The American scientists then insert the spike gene into a copy of the original SARS virus that Barrick had created in his lab and tested the new mutant on his humanized mice, the mice with the human lungs. In May 2014, EcoHealth Alliance then gets $3.7 million from the U.S. National Institutes of Health. Half a million of it goes to the Wuhan lab for equipment. Another 130000 pays for Salary and uh, benefits for Bat Lady and her assistant. Pressure is now being exerted on the lab work, though. Barack Obama announced a moratorium on all gain-of-function fun- uh, experiments that would be reasonably anticipated to increase a pathogen's infectiousness or lethality. And yes, this included SARS-related work. So this is 2014. It could have been the end of the Wuhan-UNC collaboration but a loophole allowed gain-of-function work to proceed if deemed to be urgent and safe. Barrick made the argument to the NIH, and they said, we believe you, Barrick. It's urgent and safe. The results of Barrick's experiment with the genetic sequence given to him by Bat Lady 
were published in co-authored research in November 2015. The combined SARS copy with the SHC-014 virus was a potential mass killer. It caused severe lung damage in humanized mice. It was resistant to vaccines developed for SARS. The paper acknowledged, November 2015, the paper acknowledged this might have been an experiment that was too dangerous. (laughs) Guys, uh, I think we might have gone a little too far here. The Wuhan Institute began stepping up its own lab work using Barrick's techniques in 2016. Dejak, Peter Dejak from EcoHealth Alliance, he announced at a conference in New York that Bat Lady was moving closer and closer to obtaining a virus that, quote, could really become pathogenic in people. <gasps> Yay! The next year, 2017, according to a paper published by Bat Lady, her scientists had sought to create eight mutant viruses from the SARS-like coronaviruses found in the Chitao cave. Two of the mutant viruses were found to infect human cells. Most of this work was carried out at the WIV under the level two biosecurity standards, which is, again, the equivalent of a dental surgery clinic. While the U.S. funders had been kept informed about the work on the cave viruses, investigators believe that the WIV was actually running a shadow project and they kept that project secret, maybe even from Peter Dejak. So he may not have known. We have to keep that in mind. He might not have known. EcoHealth Alliance might not have known because what's the first rule about commies? They lie. Exactly. They lie. So if they're running a shadow, a parallel project for the military, they would have cut him out of that. The Wuhan Institute withheld information about the deaths at the mine. They didn't tell EcoHealth about that. And the U.S. government didn't tell them. Bat Lady's team spent four years stripping that mine, collecting 1,300 samples from the bats, and discovered 293 coronaviruses. The work on the mine appears to have ended in May of 2015, A year later, she publishes a paper referring to the discovery at the site of a coronavirus that was from a lineage of SARS never seen before. And she called it R-A-B-T, blah, 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 4991. Just remember that, 4991. That paper did not mention the deaths of the miners. It did not mention that scientists had found in the mine eight other SARS viruses from the same previously undiscovered family. And then after the pandemic begins, the 4991 virus took on ever greater significance because it was identified as the closest known relative to COVID-19. It meant that the nine viruses found in the mine were the only members of COVID-19's lineage known to have existed before the pandemic. Right. So if it came from a wet market, well, where's the connection with the mine? When the Wuhan Institute then finally was forced to admit the existence of 4991. Remember this story? Because they, it was found in a genome sequence on an international database. Somebody found it. They were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you claim not to, have, not to have known any of this, but you, you entered it into a database. It changed the name. The WIV, the commies, changed the name.
but that's what they were working on. They got somebody found it in the database. After it was found, they changed the name and acknowledged, oh yeah, yeah, 4991. I guess we did find something related to to COVID-19. Our bad. Got an email here from Gregory. He says, grad student from UNC, cut down that oldest tree in the world in California. UNC discriminates against Asian students. Now they built the COVID-19 virus. Another reason to be ABC. Anything but Carolina. (laughs) And yes, I went to NC State University. Ah, well, okay, that makes sense then. Stan says, based on what we now know about the origins of the coronavirus, why would anybody consume content from mainstream media outlets, regulatory agencies, and most professional organizations in this country? And uh, why would they consume, yeah, in this country and not look at the content as anything other than regime-supported propaganda? Uh, back to the UK Times story. One of the uh, one of the investigator sources said that the secret military-funded experiments at Wuhan Institute on the mind virus began in 2016, and at about that time, the Wuhan Institute started becoming less open about its work, and it mo- it mostly stopped revealing any new coronaviruses that it discovered. Right, so it all lines up. The investigators believe that the Chinese military took an interest in developing a vaccine for the viruses so they could be then used as potential bioweapons. If a country could inoculate its own population against its own secret virus, then it would have a weapon to shift the balance of power in the world. The PLA, the People's Liberation Army, the commies, right? they, they had a vaccine specialist, a guy by the name of Zhu Yusen. Suspicion fell on him after the pandemic because he produced a patent for a COVID vaccine with remarkable speed in February of 2020, a little more than a month after the outbreak of the virus had first been admitted to by China. In May, a couple months later, Zhu appears to have died, 54 years old. This fact was only mentioned in passing in a Chinese media report and in a scientific paper that placed the word deceased in brackets after his name. Witnesses are said to have told the U.S. investigators that Zhu fell from the roof of the Wuhan Institute. But that has not been verified. And finally, and again, I'm just giving you the high points. You really should read this entire thing. It's at the U.K. Times. In the first months of... I'll give you the website. I think... Oh, I don't even have it. Okay. Um... Just look for UK Times, COVID-19, it'll show up. Because it's not in American media. In the first months of the pandemic, there was a strong desire among Chinese scientists to head off to the bat caves. In Yunnan, I really should just get that audio clip and just play the audio clip from the old Batman. Anyway, uh, so a lot of these scientists were like, let's go to the bat caves and let's check and see if we could find a place where COVID may have originated. The British bat lady, Alice Hughes says that they all went out, they all prioritized like to these working groups and they all start going out to do more sampling. But there was one no-go area. You know what it was, right? Yeah. It was the Mojang Mine. Seven of her uh, members of her team went to the mine in June of 2020, including a PhD student named Kamping Huang who had investigated the miners' mystery illness soon after they had died. When they arrived, 
they were told that the Moizhang mine was closed. So they sampled bats in another abandoned copper mine that was nearby. On the first day of their work, Chinese police arrived. They seized the samples, took them to the police station, and interrogated and detained the team for 48 hours. Officers also went to their hotel room, and in completely non-suspicious activities, they seized all of the samples they had collected from everywhere, even though the team had approval to test in that area. And then, of course, they were kicked out of the country. I'm sure all of this is explainable by something very obvious and logical. It should all make sense. And the explanation is very simple. Trying to develop the virus, it escaped from the lab, and it was a bioweapon. That's the obvious explanation here. I don't know what other information we need <laughs> to, to all coalesce around this idea and do what I've been saying from the very beginning blame China. Stick around. Brett Winterville's up next. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>